Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago is your audio guide through the landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. Hello, my name is Sanchita Balachandran. I'm a conservator, and I'm trained in the conservation of archaeological materials in particular. And my day job is the associate director of the Archaeological Museum at Johns Hopkins University. So what does a conservator do? Uh, Well, there are, I guess, a lot of different ways that people might define that. As far as um, my own training and my own experience, I think the job of a conservator is to make sure that objects of historical value, of artistic value, um, really of cultural value of any kind, are properly preserved for this generation and for future generations. And a lot of the training that most conservators have involves a combination of Uh, really knowledge of art history, but also applied science, a lot of hands-on experience actually working with materials. So we're really a um, a very interdisciplinary group of people. And more and more now, we're very interested in uh, how conservation is much more of a a social process rather than just a technical one. So instead of just thinking of ourselves as people who, who, you know, might fix an object to make it look better or be better preserved for the future, we're really interested in how to engage with other stakeholders um, so that cultural heritage really is preserved not only in the physical sense, but also in a much more social way. So what was it about conservation that drew you to it? Was it the interdisciplinary nature or something else? Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm an immigrant. I'm, I'm the child of immigrants. And having uh, come to the United States, I think uh, certainly my family was very hopeful that I would have um, a stable career. And, you know, all the time growing up, the people that I knew um, were doctors and engineers and and professionals of various kinds. And I sort of imagined myself as a doctor, I think, uh, almost as a default. Uh, And when I was in high school, I was taking all of the appropriate high-level AP classes so that I could get into a good school to get into that good medical school. And when I got to college, I was taking all of my pre-med requisites and, and being fairly miserable, I have to admit. Um, and I was very lucky in that one of my art history professors in college said, you know, here's this amazing internship um, with the Getty Museum, and it will fund you to be involved in a museum over the course of the summer, and you should work with us. And I ended up talking to some conservators, um, especially Brian Considine uh, from, from the Getty. And at some point, I just realized that there was no way I was going to be um, this doctor, that this field had s- sort of taken over. Uh, and it was really that that moment that kind of changed everything. And from really, I think, my you know junior year on, that was all I, I, I knew I wanted to do. Balachandran says her early formative experience in conservation was at the Fowler Museum, on the UCLA campus. And a really wonderful conservator named Joe Hill was the person who introduced me to conservation. And at the time, they were working on a, an amazing exhibit of Haitian voodoo. And it was the first time that I'd, first of all, ever handled, you know, art, art objects that weren't paintings. And it was really in working with her that I started to think about the fact that objects had other kinds of needs than just um, the kind of physical care that conservators were expected to provide. Um, There were some conversations that were happening while I was there about whether these objects needed to um, be told as to where they were, that they had left Haiti and they were elsewhere. Could you could you describe more about what it means to to tell a collection where it is? I'm not sure. 
I quite understand. You know, I'm not sure either. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, in fact, I, I realize now more and more, uh, it's just a really fascinating idea. I mean, we have in museums objects collected from so many different places, uh, and we hold all of these people's objects in, you know, under our stewardship. And what a strange idea it is to actually, have, you know, have, have not told them where they are. Um, here at, at Johns Hopkins, we have this collection, you know, of at least 10,000 objects, and we have human remains here as well. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is that all of these objects, many of them funerary in nature, and a lot of them sort of daily life objects, were things that people used that belonged to people, or in some cases were, you know, buried with them and meant to go to the next world with them. And what a strange idea that none of these things happened. You know, here they are in Baltimore, where, where I'm sure no one planned for these objects to be. Uh, and so one of the kind of crazy ideas I've been toying with for the past couple of years, and I'm, I'm really trying to get some funding for, is, um, is to write a requiem for the people in storage. I feel like I'm more and more attuned to the fact that these are very intimate things that we get to look at all the time. Uh, and yet, I think the way that we teach about these objects, the way that really, you know, conservation even teaches about objects is often as sort of a group of things or a representative group of things for a representative group of people. In 2016, at the American Institute for Conservation's annual meeting, Balachandran presented a talk called Race, Diversity, and Politics in Conservation, Our 21st Century Crisis. In it, she argues against conservators thinking of themselves as context-free object keepers and said recognize the histories and stories that a collection represent belong to the people who claim them. A transcript of the talk is available online, and I really recommend reading it. A link is in the show notes. I asked Balachandran about the differences between the way the museum world and the conservation world have reckoned with their institutional histories. Oh, well, that is a that is a huge topic, and I think there are there are a lot of different ways one could think about it. I mean, for me, I think there there are kind of two major issues. One is that um, certainly museum anthropology and um, anthropology in general has really has been dealing for some time with the fact that colonialism and imperialism are part of their heritage, if you will. Uh, and I think it's become to me, certainly clearer and clearer that conservation has always been part of that. Uh, I don't think it's been as well understood within the teaching of our own field that we've been party to this kind of, um, you know, institutional work. And I think most conservators would feel that their work is all about doing the right thing, that, you know, we're trying to preserve material for the future. And yes, on one level, I think that is an incredibly important and altruistic thing. But if you set it against the backdrop of everything else that's happened in how the museum, you know, institutions are formed and what they choose to preserve or not preserve, we, we really have to accept our responsibility in, in being part of, you know, this rather problematic dynamic. And um, certainly even today, you know, I think a lot of conservators would feel that they're doing the right job. You know, they're not culpable. They're not responsible for a lot of the criticism that I think museums should reasonably be on the receiving end of. But I think we need to really think very critically about that because we've been party to it for a while. Um, and I think our field has also felt that we need to remain somehow neutral and apolitical, that that somehow is our, our remit because we are attempting to be very sort of 
scientific and objective in our approach. But, you know, there's nothing particularly objective about anything we do. As far as I'm concerned, the most political decision one can make is to say that someone's history is worth preserving or not preserving. To say that we're doing the right thing and it's not, it's not our fault and this is not our responsibility really doesn't address the fact that we are the ones that end up doing the preservation of what's been decided is worth saving. Uh, so we do have some you know, ability to change that dynamic. Now, how we actually gain that ability to do that, that's what I would like to really strategize about. Because, of course, the museum itself is a very hierarchical institution. And historically, I think conservators have always felt that they're sort of the, you know, the, the technical people, uh, the people who don't necessarily make the intellectual decisions. So that means that we've unfortunately found ourselves in this position of not being able to say, wait, but this too is important. Why aren't we preserving this? Why aren't we engaging these different, you know, stakeholders? Uh, so trying to change all of those dynamics, both within our field, but also just outside our field is you know, it's it's a major task. It's sort of terrifying, but I also feel like it's it's time that we start to think about this in a very strategic and forceful way. What I see as the most important part of my work here is to have students really take a very close look, just something that, you know, nothing but staring at a surface through a microscope, through all of these different technologies that we have can replace, um, because many students are used to reading about things in books and the moment you look at the thing itself, all of that sort of falls away and often is not actually accurate for the object in front of you. Um, so part of my work is to just have students spend the time looking and being confused and recognizing something new that they you know, weren't expecting to see. This is another thing that I think in the conservation field, we've had a very hard time acknowledging that you know, these collections that we take care of are not objects. They're really powerful, emotional objects that, you know, connect people to the past. Uh, and to, to pretend that we can just sort of strip away any of that emotion and just be very objective and do a cleaning or do some analytical research is to really take away from why we keep these objects in the first place. If somebody wanted to learn about you mm -hmm. 100 years from now, having your photo roll on your phone, not as a tangible object, as the actual right. data, would actually paint a better picture of you than the object of the phone itself. In other words... Yes, someone could someone could put your telephone in a museum and say, uh, you know, <laughs> she was like everybody else and looked at this 50 times a day. If our entire lives are just recorded in HD or in 4K, um, doesn't that give us the same information about how we lived? Doesn't that give futurelings the same information about how we lived? Well, I mean, that's a fascinating question. And I mean, in part, my, my 2016 um, talk was about saying we need to actually make a space for ourselves to be relevant because at the moment we've turned into these kind of object keepers and it's, it's fairly delimited, I think, in its scope. Um, so what's, what's the next, you know, what's the next thing that we can do? And really our field has changed so much, even in the, you know, two decades I've been in it. I mean, we've moved from almost being the people who they, you know, we, we make things look attractive for exhibit and, you know, we do technical studies, you know, those, and we still do all of those things. 
But now we're really entering a very different phase. And it's a very exciting phase because suddenly we're realizing there are all of these other aspects of conservation or, or the preservation of cultural heritage that we need to engage with to actually get to that photo roll rather than the phone. And a lot of things that we never thought about doing like oral histories with the artists or the communities that are using these objects or returning objects to the originating communities so that they can actually be used so that, you know, objects actually accrete those experiences. Um, those are all things that we actually need to somehow preserve. So that's almost like more data management. We, we really need to think about what's important about cultural heritage. And the cultural heritage is not just beautiful things. It's also all the products of, of culture, you know, the nuclear waste sites that we now need to find out how we're going to preserve, um, the plastic in the oceans. I mean, these are all products that we made that we need to actually make sense of for, you know, future generations and for our own generation. This has been Museum Archipelago. If you like the show, you can support me by joining Club Archipelago. In exchange for your support, you'll get access to a new premium audio feed that guides you further behind the scenes of museums. You can join the club by going to patreon.com slash museumarchipelago or looking in the show notes for this episode. For more information or to submit feedback, go to museumarchipelago.com or museum underscore go on Twitter. Next time, bring a friend.